Here's your opportunity to listen and learn from the most successful people driving growth and success in Palm Beach County and beyond. Welcome to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principled Wealth Advisors. Carrie and his guests share stories and insights from Palm Beach County's most successful executives, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Learn how they made it to where they are today, what principles guide them, how they mentor others to achieve success, and more. This is a Business in Paradise podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Stamp. I have a guest today that's uh, somebody that's extraordinarily well-known in this community. Seems to me like he's been around just about forever. A good friend of mine, uh, George Gentile. And George is the founder and the managing partner, I believe, of an architecture, landscape architecture, planning and environmental consulting firm called 2GHO. They're right here in Jupiter, Florida. And as you look around Jupiter, Florida uh, and Palm Beach County, these guys have put together the plans for many of the big projects that we see right here in the county. George, welcome to the Business in Paradise podcast. Thanks, Gary. Glad to be here. Thank so, you. So, George, tell us a little bit about how you got started, you know, what life was like for you when you were first coming out of school, and what took you in the direction of becoming a landscape architect? Okay, I'll give you the, the semi-long story, but I actually graduated from Suncoast High School the first year was Suncoast in Riviera Beach, Florida. So we've lived here most of my life. And I actually had a scholarship to the Coast Guard Academy and was going to go in through there and get into architectural or marine architecture. And unfortunately, my plans were kiboshed to go in the Coast Guard because I had an injury playing football. I was a center for the varsity squad. Went to Palm Beach State College, or at the time, I guess two names ago, Palm Beach Junior College and graduated with an AA in architecture. I got out of that school and decided I was going to go to work for my dad who had a moving company most of his life. And he had a moving company and, and the first day I went to work, I figured I'd have my office set up and I would walk in and go in the office. And he gave me a pad and he said, get on the truck with those two guys. You got a move job in the morning. You got to finish one at five o'clock tonight. I did that for about three months. I decided to go back to school, University of Florida. I was very interested in landscape design, landscaping, landscape architecture. And I went into Florida and became a landscape architect. George, that's a lot like my story. Mm -hmm. My freshman year after college, I went to work and spent a summer working on the railroad. Mm -hmm. My father was a train engineer. And after a summer working on the railroad as a brakeman, I said to myself, I better stay in school because... Mm -hmm. Uh, this life is not exactly what I want for me. So uh, you were probably fortunate that your dad did that for you. My dad taught me a great lesson. Yeah. He said, stay in school, get your degree, and don't sit on a truck like I did for 30, 40 years. Wow. So, yeah. so you mentioned Suncoast. Yes. So the first year it yes. was a high school, you were there? Yes, it was Riviera Beach High School. It was the Riviera Beach Hornets. I played football uh, my junior and senior year there. And then back in 1970, they changed it to Suncoast High School, merged it with the Kennedy High School that was a little bit out west. And that's when Suncoast was initiated. And so my degree 
for my high school is from Suncoast High School. Did they start it? It's, I know today it's like a magnet school it's, for really smart kids. It's like one of the top 10 in the country. It's, I think when you come out of there, you get a baccalaureate degree of some sort or some kind of major degree. So I say that I have that, but it was basically high school education. So you go back to school, yeah. you, finish, you, you finish up in school, mm -hmm. and then what's the first job? Actually, when I got out of the University of Florida, my first job was with Palm Beach County. I became a planner and I worked for an agency that they had at the time called the Area Planning Board of Palm Beach County, which eventually turned into a regional agency called Treasure Coast Regional Planning Council. I went in and became a planner and was uh, assigned to deal with the coastal zone management aspects of Palm Beach County, which uh, was at the time they started doing, writing the first comp plan, comprehensive plan for Palm Beach County. And that was my task at the time. So, so coastal zone management, that's like what's going on along the waterways, what's going on along the ocean. It's uh, setting up policies and strategic goals on how to develop, how not to develop. So we started looking at those things back then and in the um, late 70s, early 80s, started looking at the storm surge issues and how it relates to development and coastal construction and maybe things that we should do and not do in those areas. And we were setting up those policies for Palm Beach County. And unless you live in an area like we live in where there's so much water and the water can be very high and the water can be very low and all of a sudden you can have a big storm that comes through that wipes up away a bunch of stuff or you live in California where they have no water, mm -hmm. you don't really think about these things. Growing up in the Midwest, there was no water planning. <laughs> it just rained. <laughs> if, if there wasn't enough rain, the crops didn't do very well. Some people irrigated, but uh, you didn't even see that very often. So I don't think a lot of people that uh, live down here or that don't live down here in South Florida realize that water, how important water management is. Water management is a tremendous aspect of Florida. If we didn't have water management, most of the areas that we are now living in and throughout Florida, you would not be living in. It would be swamp. It would be floodplains areas uh, that uh, flood occasionally during the year. Uh, a lot of things with water management, not to mention drinking water in Florida is very dependent on how we manage stormwater and the, and the aquifers that we, we all live above. So. You know, so George, I, I call the podcast Business in Paradise because when I moved down here in 2006, Sharon and I truly felt like we were moving to paradise. That's, we like still pinch each other in the middle of January yeah. when it's 70 degrees out and it's absolutely beautiful. We look at the water, we look at the palm trees, we look at the lighthouse in Jupiter and all the beautiful scenery. You chose to stay here. Were you here? You were here, obviously, in high school. Yeah. Did you come down as my, a child? My, my family moved to, to Miami when I was, I think I was probably four years old. And then we eventually, my father took a job up here and started at managing a uh, moving company in Revere Beach. And we moved up from Miami. And I was actually seven years old at the time we moved to, to Palm Beach County. So, so aside from the time that you went to the University of Florida, mm -hmm. did you leave Palm Beach County for any length of time? No, no. We, we grew up here. Actually, my wife was born in St. Mary's Hospital. She's a true native here. And all my three boys, I have three sons, and they were all born here in Florida. One at Alachia General at University of Florida. So you know that I was married when I went to University of Florida. We had our first son there. 
And then my other two boys, one was born in St. Mary's and one was born in uh, Good Sam. So they're my, my entire immediate family, other than myself, are Florida natives. All right. And so you brought this up. So your wife, Jan, mm -hmm. who's absolutely delightful, tell us how the two of you met. <laughs> Interesting. There was a girl that I was dating in uh, high school that happened to be a very close friend of hers, and she introduced me. And that was it. After that, I, I, I started dating my wife actually in high school. I just, I just heard the same story from another guy at lunch. He said, I met my wife because I was dating her roommate. And I was like, how'd that work out? And he said, well, she's still friends with the roommate and we're still happily married. So it all it's the uh, same, same story. Yeah. You know, they're still friends. Uh, we don't see them much anymore because they don't live in the area. But yeah, that's how it happened. And we actually got married very young. So got married when I got out of Palm Beach Junior College. And right from there, went on to, you know. Started right up, off. Started right off. All right. So you're working at the county. Mm -hmm. How long do you stay? I stayed at the county for two years. And I was, I'll, I'll say I was swooped away by a the director of planning for the city of Vero Beach. He met me at a couple of meetings that we were doing to set up Treasure Coast Regional Planning Council. And he said, hey, I'm looking for an assistant planning director and an environmental administrator in Indian River County. He says, I'd like to offer you the job. So Jan and I went up there and I decided to take the job and we moved to Vero Beach. So, so you're in Vero Beach. Now we got another government job, right? Right. Right. All right. So let's get to the good part. When do, we, when do you go out on your own and start your own okay. architectural uh, <laughs> landscape planning and design firm? Okay, a little bit, a little bit after that, but I came back from Vero after about uh, a year and a half because uh, we, really, we really loved it down here in Paradise, as you call it here in Palm Beach County. And uh, so we came back to home. I went to work for a, a major engineering firm and started their landscape architecture and planning division and actually had worked for them when I was in the state or junior college. And then that, from that engineering company, two architects and myself decided at one point that we wanted to try it on our own. And so one day we went in and we gave our month's notice and we were asked to leave by 10 o'clock in the morning. And we started an office up here called GBS Architects, Landscape Architects and Planners. That was my first job where I set up the business myself with two other partners. And I was president of that company. We built that firm into a 26 man firm, started that company in 1982. And then in 1988, I left and I started what I have now. We're approximately 34 years old and we've gone through several names, but it started out at George G. Gentile and Associates. And now is 2GHO Inc., Landscape Architects, Planners, and Environmental Consultants. So I've only been here 15 years and so many things have changed. Oh, yes. And yes, there's more people than there's probably more than I would like, but it still isn't so bad yet. Right. Tell me, what was it like? You start in 1982, a landscape design firm in this area. There was probably a lot of land then. Oh yeah, there was a lot of, there was still a lot of vacant land. There was still a lot of new projects. Abacoa was, was a you pick it farm, most of it. And, and Pine Flatwood areas, there was nothing there. And all of those things just uh, started to take off. Of course, I started 2GHO right in the downturn of the economy in 1988, actually February 28th, 19, 1988. Couldn't have started at a, a more 
inappropriate time. Although now I realize that maybe the best time to start a business is when the economy's really tanking and, and you build up as that builds back up, you build your company back up. So. And it also keeps you lean Yes, uh, because you don't really have a choice. You right. have to be lean and you have to understand how to operate a business in a lean manner. Yes. So you, when you start to GHO or when you started the first firm, you obviously probably had a few clients that followed you or that went with you. What were some of the first projects like that you worked on? Oh, probably the, the largest project that I had started with when I had uh, started the company was the Solid Waste Authority of Palm Beach County. At the time, Tim Hunt was the executive director. It was a kind of a semi-separate agency and had city council people and some of the county commissioners running the board, but they were in the process of looking at waste management in this county. And you say, why, why did you, why do you talk about that? Well, I'm going to tell you that they were going to get into resource recovery. And so they needed to close the old landfills and establish new areas. And so they were looking at the areas near 45th street and, and the turnpike, and they decided to buy a large piece of land to the West side of the turnpike and do that as a resource recovery. Tim Hunt, who was the executive director, wanted to make it an environmental showpiece because they were dealing with environmental issues with the solid waste. And we started a tree reclamation project where we would take the vegetation from the new site, close out the old landfills and create a vegetative uh, cover that was there historically. And we took the dire landfill and created a park out of it, both passive and then eventually an active park. We moved over three years, 12,000 trees from the new site over to the old landfill site. We won a national award from the American Society of Landscape Architects for that. It was a project that was shown internationally. Actually, American Airlines had a show on it, and so did ABC News regarding the uh, restoration work that we did on that site. And it's actually, you drive by it and you uh, look at it, and you would never know that it was ever a landfill. Mm -hmm. uh, I've certainly been to Dyer Park, and, and I go visit my friends at the First Tee. Mm -hmm. Shout out to uh, Carl and his team at the uh, First Tee in Dyer Park. Yeah, It's absolutely fantastic. They even have a little par three uh, golf course there yeah. now for the kids. Yes. So when you say resource recovery, mm -hmm. is, does does that mean like recycling? What's well, that, that what that means is they, they actually take our our class one garbage that you put out on the curbside. Let's not talk about the recycling, but the garbage. Okay. And they actually burn it and they generate turbines from the steam from that burning. And then the, the, the waste, which is taken and landfilled is a lot less because it's an ash type. It's called bag ass actually. <laughs> and it's actually put on uh, the landfill and it's less, it, it allows the landfill to last longer. So they create electrical power and they generate it and sell it to the energy companies, FPNL and Lake Worth Utilities, other companies probably buy it. And that's a way to extend the life of the landfill, create energy and help the environment. So, and now they do recycling as well. So this was one of your first projects. You're starting yes. your business and you get mm -hmm. this deal yeah. and then you get an award for it. That's yes. a pretty good start right out of the gate. Yeah. How about one that you just think back on and you think, geez, that was a tough one. I had to spend so much time working on this particular deal and it was really hard to get it done. Is there anything that pops into your head? 
I think when we started the work at Abacoa, the first, what we call traditional neighborhood design that was done in actually this area of Florida. And when I talk about that, we talk about alley access, parking in the back, you know, little street uh, edges to create a sense of place and, and on the, you know, pedestrian uh, oriented development. I think that that was probably one of the toughest ones that we had to take through because people didn't understand what traditional neighborhood design was. They really did because it, a lot of the Northeast was developed that way. It's just that it was considered that's how we do things here. It's just development. But we took that concept and created really walkable neighborhoods. And a lot of people had issues with it when we first started it. So. I can see why it would be a little bit different. When you go into these gated communities, almost nobody has an alley behind their house. Right. When I lived in Chicago, every house that I had, mm -hmm. there was the garage. Behind the garage was the alley. Then usually the garage wasn't attached right. and you'd walk into your uh, house. Right. But the alley served a lot of useful purposes because you, we lived on busy streets for the most part. They weren't like heavily trafficked, but there was a, plenty of traffic going down the street. You didn't want to put the, and there were cars parked all along the street. You didn't want to put your garbage out in front. Right. So the alley was very useful for us, A, to store the vehicles and B, as a place to put the refuse. So that's awesome. So Abacoa, how long did you work on that project? Uh, we got selected to be the landscape architects for Abacoa at the beginning when uh, the project started. And we wor worked all the way through the turnover of the DRI, which was done two years ago. Wow. Uh, so almost the entire project, we worked on several aspects of it. Other consultants in the area worked on it as well. We weren't the only ones, but we did a lot of work and we were the keepers of the what they call the master plan. And anytime somebody came in and changed something, we would go through the process with the state agencies to change the master plan. So is that a 15 year or more? It was supposed to be a 12 year, but it, it probably lasted probably like 15, 16 years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you got that one out of the way. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So George, one of the things I, I tried to prep you for this one mm -hmm. that I'd, I'd like to hear. And I talk a lot about people that have helped me in the business and that have shown me the right way to do things or have just given me a helpful piece of advice. And sometimes that helpful piece of advice is just like, be humble or, you know, listen to what other people are saying or recognize that everybody's coming at things from a different perspective. I've had mentors that have said all of those things to me and they haven't always sunken in, but I've valued uh, their opinion. Mm -hmm. Is there somebody in your business life that you would say, geez, this person really had an impact on me in that way? You know, it's interesting you ask that. I, I do have somebody that I have to say, when I started the company that I have now and left another firm that I had other partners with, I had a client, his name was Jim Corum, former CEO of the parts facility, major company. And I was working on his house in, in uh, Jupiter Island, doing the landscape design, the pool you know, some of the hardscape and I decided to leave. And, and he said, I think it's a good idea for you to do that. And he goes, and I want to help you. So he set me up with a banker and we did everything. And he worked with me on a little bit of a financial help with the initial startup. And he had a, he had a philosophy and that is, I need your payment on the loan before 12 noon on the 15th of every month. And I 
was pretty religious. And then one day I showed up at 1.45 and I spent four hours lectured on paying your bills and making sure that you commit, if you make a commitment, that you stick with that commitment, your integrity and your honor and your future business is relying on that. And so he taught me that very well. And that's, that's my mentor. Okay. That's, that's a great story, George. Yeah. I, I think many of our listeners will know that at Carrie Stamp and Company, I developed what we call our seven primary principles. And principle number one is deliver. It's simply, if you tell somebody you're going to do something, you better do it. I had a similar situation. I was, I was a young guy. I had met this older gentleman who was very nice to me. This was back in the days when I smoked way too many cigars. I haven't had one in almost eight years now, but I sat next to this guy at the cigar store and he invited me to play golf at his club one time. And then over time, he actually invited me to play in the member guest at this beautiful golf club here in, in Florida. And I walked in to the locker room one day. I told him that, he, or that I'd be there at 7.30 and I was there at 7.45. And he was sitting at a table in the corner. He had the newspaper kind of held up and he had his glasses uh, kind of down uh, on the bottom of his nose. I walk in, I'm 15 minutes late. It's a kind of a club where you can't use your cell phone. So I had sent him a text and said I was going to be late, but he didn't have his phone anywhere near him. So he slides the paper just over about an inch or so. He sees me. He looks, he turns his wrist to look at his watch. He turns his wrist back, moves the paper back over and just keeps reading the paper. And I'm like, oh crap, mm -hmm. I just screwed up. <laughs> now, this taught me one of the most valuable lessons uh, that I teach everybody here, uh, that I teach all the young people that I mentor, be on time, show up when you tell people that you're going to show up, plan for that train, plan for that bridge to go up, give yourself that extra 15 minutes. I think that's a really great story. And that's why I was here the time you asked me to be here. You were absolutely uh, no question here uh, on time. I love it. I try to teach my staff that to always be on time or a little bit early because you never know. I always say, if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. <laughs> right. So that's great. So we had a great mentor. How about a book that you think about in your business life that this was something that I read, it had an impact on me, and I was able to implement this philosophy? Well, I've read a lot of Tom Peters back in the day, and probably the, the best philosophy that I could take from him, which he instilled in the Cisco Corporation, and that's for their CEOs to manage while walking around. I think that's probably been my mantra for my company. I just don't sit at my desk. I walk around, I engage with my staff. We, we, we do design work together. We resolve problems together and we also figure out issues that may be disturbing them both personally, as well as in the office. And, and we keep those things under control. I have always felt that my staff is my product. And if they're not looking good, like on the shelf of the grocery store, and they're not feeling good, you're not going to buy those services. So we've always tried to take care of our staff and make sure that they have a great work environment and that they like what they're doing in our office. So you have a team now. I think most of it's been together for a long time. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And you have to work together as a team. You definitely have to collaborate. 
when you're designing a project, are you working with your partners on that project? Are you working with your associates or could it be both? It could be both. Uh, a lot of times, you know, the, the, the partners all have their, their kind of niche. One is great at site planning. One is great at entitlements and going and making presentations. And one is really good in design, detailed design work. And so all of those elements make our product make our projects. And so it's good to bring in each one of them. And the same thing with our staff. We have people that are highly technical in working in CAD. We have people that are phenomenal in dealing with construction administration and making sure things get put in the ground properly. So we all work together. And I, I have to tell you, I make coffee too. Yeah. So, okay. So probably a better cup than anybody in the office. <laughs> Do you actually make a Keurig or uh, no, you have a real coffee We grind machine. the beans and we put it in a coffee pot and, and make it work that way. So. Wow. That's, that's some serious craftsmanship there in, in your coffee making. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So George, the other thing that you're really known for is for some of the things that you've done in the community. You've been involved in nonprofit organizations. You've been involved in the Chamber of Commerce. I don't want to give them all away because I'll let you share some of those things, but tell us a little bit about how you first got involved in things like the Chamber of Commerce and what that's meant to you personally and professionally. Well, I think the, I really got involved initially with the Jupiter Tequesta Juno Beach Chamber of Commerce, which uh, we all know has merged over the years with the Palm Beach North Chamber of Commerce, which was initially the Northern Palm Beach County Chamber of Commerce. But when I, started my business, the first architectural firm, GBS, I felt it was really important that we give back to the community and that we get involved, particularly to ensure that our business would, would uh, evolve and, and grow with the, with the area. So we got heavily involved with the Jupiter Tequesta Juno Beach Chamber, and I attended the meetings, I attended a lot of the events, and then eventually got on the board. And then eventually in 1988, became uh, chairman of, of the board of the, the Jupiter Tequesta Juno Beach Chamber. That kind of merged with the other chamber. And I started as just a member at that level and worked my way up into getting on the uh, board and then eventually the exec executive committee. And, uh, and then they asked me to run for the uh, chairmanship of that organization. I, I just feel it was a great organization to be involved in anything to deal with the business community that's also working on the economic benefits to the area and some of the things that we have concerns on in our strategic plan, not only for the businesses, but the, for the residents. Right now, as you know, the Palm Beach North Chamber is looking at resiliency here in the, in the north end of the county so that when we have these storm events or we have catastrophic things happen, that we have a way to resolve and get back on our feet. And that's, uh, I think it's tremendous. Yeah, I have to say the chamber has really blown my mind because coming from Chicago, I was involved in a chamber that was in my area in Lincoln Park. And I always felt when I went to these meetings that it was primarily not the business owners, that it was the salespeople that the business owners were sending out, and that it wasn't the type of relationships that I was necessarily uh, looking to establish. That's not the case here. Right. This is the real people that make things happen in Palm Beach County. They're members of the Palm Beach North Chamber. So my shout out to you, my shout out to John Carr, who's a past president who was on the podcast, one of my first episodes, mm -hmm. to Mike Mitrione, who was on the podcast, also yeah. one of my first episodes. Some of these great people that have done a phenomenal job. And now Stephanie, his daughter, right. Stephanie Mitrione, 
running the chamber and our, our mutual friend, Dave Markarian, coming in eventually as the next chair of the chamber. They've done a, a fantastic job of putting together a roster of people that really make things happen in Palm Beach County. One of the things that happens, I think, with the chamber chair is that the year after your chair, they give you another job. Yep, they tell, sure do. Tell they, us about that. <laughs> after your year as chairman, the next job you have is chairperson of Artie Gras, which is, of course, the, the one of the best shows in the country for artwork. 300 artists come into that show, and it's a, it's a great event, a lot of work, but we have some great staff people, and we have some phenomenal volunteers that work on that. So actually the chairman's job is pretty easy unless you're like I am and uh, you're really concerned about the music that's going to be played. And so I got myself engrossed in that. And then you hope that it doesn't rain like it did when I was chair, but we unfortunately had a, had a little bit of, of a rough go the year that I was chair. Of course, with the pandemic, we, we kind of missed one, but we came back strong at the, at the Artie Gras this year, and they did a phenomenal job. John Carr was uh, chair of that. He did a, a fantastic job getting us back in. So. So, so another thing, George, as far as your involvement in the community, mm-hmm. I know that you're very involved in the Marine Industries Association. Absolutely. Tell us how you got into that. I mean, I, I can kind of understand the coastal planning aspect of everything, mm-hmm. but how did you get to the Marine Industries Association? I'm an avid boater. I've been a big boater. I'm actually a member of the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary here in, in the north end of the county. Uh, I was a I was a operations officer for them and did search and rescue. Very involved with it. And I just one day was talking to some people that were members and they asked me to join. And I joined and I worked my way up and I just finished my second year as president of that organization. As you know, as you know, the Marine Industries Association owns the Palm Beach International Boat Show. We just had our 35th year of success in West Palm Beach. We actually had the best year that we've ever had. There were more boats sold in this show at the end of March than any show we've had in 35 years. And it's it was a tremendous event. I know you got to come to it and I think you enjoyed it. And we're looking forward to the next one, getting ready right now to get set up for that. I will tell you, I was at that Palm Beach uh, boat show. Thanks to you, George. And the atmosphere was amazing. The, the The whole thing was just almost kind of electric because people were so pent up of staying home. And now we've got a, a really cool outdoor activity. And as everybody knows, boat sales are through the roof yeah. because it's been an activity that's been very COVID friendly. Yes. So it, it's almost impossible to find a boat that stays on the shelf for very long. In fact, I went to buy a jet ski last spring. I went into the dealer and uh, I said, what do you have it's in inventory? And the guy says, well, I think we might have a crate that just came in. And he walks me out in the, behind the building and says, there's a crate over there. We haven't even opened it yet, but I think that there's one in there. And I, and then of course I said, you know, what do you want for it? And he said, well, the sticker is blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what do you want for it? He says, the sticker is blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I have a new jet ski. I did not get a good right. deal on it. No, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's amazing. We've seen a uh, 60% increase in boat sales in the last uh, 24 months. It's just been unbelievable. Yeah. So your involvement with the waterways doesn't end there. Tell us what else you do. Well, I'm, I'm in my 21st year as a commissioner on the Jupiter Inlet District, which is Southeast Florida's oldest 
special districts set up by the state legislature in 1921. We own and, and manage the Jupiter Inlet and the saltwater portions of the Loxhatchee River. I am currently chair of that commission, and I've been on that for quite some time. And again, it's a passion for the water navigation and the environmental aspects that we get involved in with that district. They keep me going. So are you in, are you responsible for those boats out by the inlet right now that are taking up a lot of space looking like they're... No, we're not responsible with the derelict boats that are sitting No, there. I'm oh. talking about the dredging ones. Oh, the dredging. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That was our, that, as, as many people in the area will know, first time in 75 years, we had a tremendous shoaling, actually about 125,000 cubic yards of sand came in off the ocean and filled up the trap. And at low tide, there was only about two and a half to three foot of, of, of clear water for the boats to come in and out of most of the inlet. We just finished that dredge operation. We had to do it under an emergency dredge permit from the Army Corps. We had to get off there last Thursday because of the turtle season. We had a 15-day extension, but we got it all done, and everything's clear sailing through there now, and we will continue to operate. We dredge that inlet almost annually. We're, our, our management plan with DEP is to put about 80,000 cubic yards of sand that we transfer that comes in through the incoming tide, drops in the trap, then we dredge it out and put it on the south shoreline, and it continues its littoral drift south. Now, how do you get on this commission? You have to get elected. So you have to run. Yeah, it's a, it's a, our district goes from two miles into Palm Beach Gardens. The Beeline Highway is our Western boundary. The Atlantic Ocean is our Eastern and the Palm Beach County, Martin County line is our North boundary. You have to run. It's a four year term. And so every four years I run for election and been very fortunate to, I've had opposition a couple of times and a lot of times I haven't. So it's been great. And it pays magnificently. Oh, yes. Yeah, it does. There's a small stipend, but it's, I, I put in a lot more hours than, than, than we do with that. So. George, you, you mentioned that the, you take care of the saltwater portion of the Loxahatchee River. Yes. Where is that? It, it moves constantly. Okay. It's, uh, so we work, we work uh, very close with the Loxahatchee River District, who actually is the environmental agency that has management aspects of the freshwater portions of the river. Now we work both together on both areas. Uh, we do some of our environmental enhancement programs in the freshwater portions. But it's a saltwater portion. Does that go like up by Cato's bridge yeah, and by uh, the other bridge? It's, it's uh, it, it kind of moves up near the park and, and, you know, changes with the, with the uh, flow of uh, freshwater coming from, from the South as they discharge uh, freshwater up here, that line changes. But, you know, we, it's a cooperative two agencies that uh, work on that. We're just finishing our living shoreline uh, project with the Bureau of Land Management at the Lighthouse. And if you get a chance to go over there, take a look at it. It's going to be a, a model for the Bureau of Land Management. It's a shoreline that will prevent erosion around the Lighthouse area along the, 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 the inlet portion side, but will also provide habitat for fish and and everything else. So. I've seen some heavy equipment over there. Yes. Okay. That's what's yeah. going on. Putting a right. lot of rock in right now. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So George, you've been involved in a lot of things. Is there, as you think back about what you and your firm have done also, aside from the civic involvement and the civic engagement, do you have a particular nonprofit or philanthropy that you're fairly passionate about? Well, the, uh, 
personally, we've been, we, we have a son who has uh, some medical issues and has had issues throughout the years. And we actually, my wife and I, and another couple started the Juvenile Diabetes Foundation here in Palm Beach County back when he was, he's now 37 years old, but when he was 12 months old, 11 months old, he came down with diabetes. So we've been very involved with that organization. He unfortunately had some other issues and we've gotten involved with them, but those are the, the, the major organizations. We're also pretty involved. I am involved with education and trying to help disadvantage people, you know, obtain their education. I, I was chair of the Palm Beach State College Foundation Board, where we take those funds and we create scholarships for students who want to excel in their education and can't really afford it. So wow. that organization has been very, very helpful. So. George, and so you mentioned one son, George, you have two others, right? Yes. And what do they do? My son, Jamie, who's my oldest, he is a uh, wind farm and solar developer for Nextera Energy. And my other son, Jonathan, is a uh, police officer here in Jupiter. So is, is he out on the street or do they give him a job on a boat? Well, he, he actually ran the Marine unit for about 13 years. And then he got tired of fishing. And so he, no, I'm just yeah. kidding. No, he, he went back on the road and he's training officers on road work now and doing uh, street work. So, Good. Yeah. So George, you had a great mentor then, and that was a fantastic story that mm -hmm. uh, you told about Jim Corum. Yep. If you were talking to a young person that wanted to go into your business today or somebody that wanted to start their own landscape design and environmental consulting business, what would you tell them? First, get a great education, okay? And look for, you don't need to go to the, to the big schools. I mean, they're, they're all great, but you can get a great education here in Florida. And then I think what I would tell them is that they have to be totally involved with their community. I think that the success of, of my business has been the involvement with uh, community activities. As you've said, I've, I belong to a lot of things. Now, my wife will tell you a little different story because she has really been tremendous and has put up with me being involved in a lot of things, but it has been a very big portion of business development. Even, even the chamber, when, when we're not looking at the chamber for you know, business development, you look, you look at the chamber for in, increasing the economic base and, and activities in the, in the area that you live in. That's what you really want to do because then the business is going to come to you, okay? You don't need to go do a card exchange or do anything like that. You need to be involved in the things that we are involved in at the chamber. So I, I would tell them to get involved as much as they can with their community, with their business organizations. And then one item I would tell them is to always be honest, truthful, keep your integrity and do what you say you're going to do. And don't be late. Don't be late. I love it. That's going to be the title of this uh, episode of the podcast. Don't be late. That's great. So George, we'll wrap this up. And it's been, it's been really good because I think we share a love for this community, for making it a better place to live. Just aesthetically, it's beautiful. But also the people that are here come from all over. You're rare in the sense that you've been here as long as uh, uh, you've been here. Last question I'll ask you. So you've had your own business for almost 40 years mm -hmm. in one form uh, or another. Right. Okay. 
So is there anything that's next for you? Are they going to be dragging you out of the office by your boots? <laughs> or do you have a plan for George 2.0? Well, I'm hoping that Carrie Stamp and company is going to help me with that eventually. But, you know, I, I've been, the partners and I have been talking about secession planning and everything else because they know that, yeah, I'm getting up there uh, now that I'm 28 years old. You know, I've moved from 27 to 28. But yes, I think, I think what I want to do is I still want to be involved in my profession. I want to be involved in the community. I do want to take a little bit more time with my family and my wife and, and, you know, put, put, put ourselves on a good track, but yeah, eventually I'm going to move out and let the partners take over, but I'll, I'll hang around until they drag me out a little bit. I'll, I'll kind of mentor them and, and also help them and, and be involved. I, I'm, I'm a hands-on kind of person and they know that. And although they won't let me touch the computer doing CAD work, I don't know what that's about, but someday I'll be able to do that, I guess. I'm not allowed to touch a lot of the computer yeah. parts around here either. So last thing, do yes. you and Jan have a favorite place that the two of you like to go? Well, we did. And maybe we're going to get back to that, but we love Duck Key in the Keys. Oh, yeah. And we religiously went down there every year. We actually spent a month down there at one point. We rented a house down there and brought our boat down and stayed there a month. I went back and forth to work because I can't stay away from work too long, but Jan stayed down there. We love it down in the Keys. It's, it makes us feel like we're right at home in Florida. And that's, that's our favorite place. George, this has been a great conversation. It's been really good hearing about your entire history of building your business in Palm Beach County and quite frankly, building a lot of what Palm Beach County is today and doing it through your community involvement work. I can't thank you enough for being my guest on the Business in Paradise podcast. Thank you for listening to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principal Wealth Advisors. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Commonwealth Financial Network. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Carrie Stamp & Company is located at 110 Bridge Road to Cuesta, Florida, 33469. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Thank you.